Hey there, party people. This is Queer Watching. I'm Jesse, here with my best pal, Brianna, and today we are talking about Season 2 of Heartstopper. For a synopsis, go listen to our Season 1 episode, not going to do the whole thing again, but it's a, mostly about Charlie and Kit being in love, and that saga continuing. So this is your spoiler alert for Season 2 of Heartstopper and the graphic novels that they are from, written by Alice Osman. At the end of our last episode about Heartstopper, I made a couple predictions. So this is where I just say nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. And not in a facetious way, but in a real in a real way. Like you you were spot on. Yeah, but also I feel like a lot of the predictions I made were just like the inevitable way the plot line was going. And obviously I was just like, I want more from the characters we already have, which is like duh. So mm-hmm. I feel like they weren't very like big or out there predictions, but yeah, it was kind of cool that. Nick's dad did show up. It's kind of a bummer. He's a piece of shit. I loved the teacher love. That was probably one of my best, <laughs> my my best uh, squee moments, if you will, is when they get together the at the vending machine. It was really pretty, really pretty cute. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> definitely. It was really cute. Yeah, yeah. Season two was great. Honestly, I feel like this is the time I have to tell you, like, Great Choice Brown and Heartstopper is a very good show. It is for, it is for right. teens, I feel like, and I'm that 30. is right. I love it. Okay, but it's very much for people whose whole world is high school, right? And so, like, mm-hmm. that feels hard to look past sometimes when I'm watching it. I disagree with you. Okay. I think... I would say if this was a show about straight cis people, then yes, it would very much be a show for high schoolers or whose whole life is high school. But I feel like since it's for queer and trans people, I guess we could go back and forth about whether or not we think the show is for queer and trans people or if we think it's for the cis straight folks. But I think that it is for queers in general because a lot of us did not get this experience. And so again, I feel like it has a broader reach because it's healing to watch for a lot of queer and trans people. Um, We get the opportunity to see what we wish we had in regards of romance and dating. And I think that that can be really enticing for people beyond their high school years. Like I haven't thought about high school since I missed my reunion. And I am very much obsessed with this show. So that's just me. I guess maybe I need to articulate a little better. Because I agree with what you're saying. I wasn't thinking really identity-wise, but more age-wise. Of like, it's hard to watch people that are in a fishbowl when as an adult, your life isn't really in a fishbowl. You don't see all the exact same people every single day and have these other powers or, or people controlling certain things for you. And um, some of the stuff just doesn't feel as big, right? Once you have bills and other responsibilities and a little more just uh, perspective, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense that like, yeah. it is still very much high school. And I think that's also why it makes it nostalgic because ah to be in a simpler time where like my biggest thing was my parents getting on me because I haven't finished my history paper and not trying to navigate end stage capitalism right Uh uh-huh on top of dating right on top of dating (laughs) on top of figuring out how to queer date yeah yes absolutely I do think there is something very 
earnest and comforting about the show watching it as an adult um mm-hmm. it's again what i kind of said for season one it's like boy wouldn't it have been great if it was that way and they still don't even make it like perfect right there's still yeah. struggles nick's whole coming out struggles for the whole season some of it obviously goes a lot better than others and season two did do more work than i was expecting so mm-hmm. i did honestly there was the episode where like we get a little more into Charlie's struggles. And I remember you being like, it goes deeper. And I was like, oh, here's the deeper. <laughs> yes. Yes. I I also made a note of that, that I really appreciated how it balanced the romantic dramedy while also bringing in real life situations for this generation and, and showing how to actively show up. Because unfortunately, I do know quite a few youth who have engaged in in self-harm and don't really know or know, know people who've engaged in self-harm and don't really know how to talk about it. And I think that this was a great example. Like the number of times they were like, how do you talk to somebody about something that they don't want to talk about? And just the narrative of like, you just keep trying. Like, because as a teenager, even as an adult, you're never going to do it perfectly. Even if you're trained in this field, like sometimes you're going to botch it. But the important thing is showing up and is is showing that you care about this person enough to make yourself uncomfortable to ask and that it's not something that's going to go away with just one conversation that like you're going to continue to be brought into this difficult situation because I care about you and I'm going to show up for you and we see that not only in Charlie and Nick but we also see that in Darcy and Tara and I thought that that was was beautiful. I think they navigated a lot of difficult topics and a difficult like self-realizations in the show. And with so much compassion because mm-hmm. some of these behaviors I feel like we've seen and we've seen people just instantly get mad. Why is my partner ignoring me? Why aren't they responding to my texts? But instead, Tara just says, hey, whatever's going on, I hope you're okay. I'm here for you. And just keeps reaching out over and over again. And it's never, why is she doing this to me? But how can Mm -hmm. I help her? And that is just like, that feels wise beyond years. Because I think if when I was 16 and 17, I would have been like, very annoyed at them and petty and probably would have acted out before being like, okay, this is bigger than you know, just missing prom or missing a commitment that you made to me for, you know, helping decorate for prom was the situation. But that was, I loved that because I just kept thinking, this is not how I'd behave, but it's how you should behave. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Again, just having examples of other ways to approach relationships in general, Mm -hmm. like the, the seeking to understand what's going on rather than just responding from an emotional place that you haven't really processed. And during my like, I don't know, fourth, fifth rewatch of this show, I finally had a realization of like why I was so, was and still am so obsessed with it. And unfortunately, it's not because I over-identify with Nick, but it's because I over-identify with Charlie as like very much the person who wants to cause the least amount of trouble for people that he loves and cares about he doesn't want to be a burden, he doesn't want to annoy. And so he internalizes a lot of his anxiety and his fears. And he he plays it very close to the chest while being the like the cheerleader and the motivator and the supporter for everybody else. And he gets Nick, who is someone who's like, 
I see that what I'm going through is affecting you. I want you to burden me. I want you to tell me what you're going through. I won't think less of you. Like literally some of the things that Charlie was saying, I was like, fuck, I have said this in my life. And I like, don't go about it with controlling or attempting to control food, but I understand what it feels like to feel like you can only control one thing in your life and that thing you're going to hold on to. So yeah, it was, it was very healing for me, very frustrating for me to have this realization because I was very like, no, I'm not Charlie. I'm not Charlie. And then I was like, ah, bet you Charlie. <laughs> um, and that I have been able to surround myself with people like Nick who are patient enough to either help me open up or are strong head enough to be like, I'm not fucking waiting. You're going to just talk to me because I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm looking at you. Um, but I also feel like I did that for, for you. So I think it's really beneficial to kind of see that we really do have these internal dialogues or narratives going on in our mind that can be really counterproductive and not based in reality. They're based in our fears. And we see that like that can begin to be challenged when we do open up to people. I think a thing I'm really looking forward to seeing in the third, potentially fourth season is throughout the show, throughout the second season, they kept making promises to each other. Like, I promise we'll tell each other about when we're going through things. And like, the optimist in me is really wanting to see that because that's not how TV shows or movies go. The trajectory is typically to like, keep secrets and have that be the conflict. But can you imagine a show where like they do communicate and then the drama is navigating that together and establishing safety and support rather than why didn't you tell me? You told me you would tell me. So I'm hoping Heartstopper continues digressing from the norm and shows us how navigating trauma and mental health stuff can be the drama without secrets being involved, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a good call. I think you're right. There has been a lot of promises that are, they feel like really important, right? Like it's a whole yeah. moment. Everything has slowed down so we can focus on the two of them promising things to each other. So okay. I agree. I think those are going to come back. I just hope you're right. It's not in a, you broke your promise to me kind of way because they're so cute. We just want the best for them. <laughs> right. I also think it's like, I know the intention behind asking someone to promise you that they'll tell you when they're really struggling. But I also know that that can be a trap in that then the person who made the promise can then just feel the compounded guilt of not telling you and compounded shame and then want to make it even more of a secret. So I'm wondering if that too will also play out if like the promises are just unrealistic and they want to be able to promise you, but they can't because they're not in a place where they're willing to or able to accept that this is where they're at. Yeah, and I and, think a lot of that has to do with how aware you are of yourself and mm -hmm. when you're struggling. Because it's like, mm -hmm. it's not a nice threshold of like, oh, I've stepped over and now I'm on the struggle bus and I wasn't one step ago. It's mm -hmm. so much more complicated and cloudy than that. Yeah, we also see when... Nick confronts Charlie about his eating how he immediately goes to grabbing at the inside of his elbow and that oftentimes is replacement behavior for cutting when you like pinch and scratch and and dig your nails into 
your your skin. So I'm wondering if that is going to, if we're going to see more body language like that around the this topic of food. I don't believe based on what we've seen that Charlie experiences anorexia. I think it's more of like a restricted food eating disorder because it's not as if he's tying it to his weight or like body dysmorphia, but rather a sense of control. So I wonder if they're going to explore that and like diagnosis wise, but he's definitely got anxiety. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. And it would still be an eating disorder. It just yes, wouldn't yes. be restrictive, yeah. restrictive eating. I don't exactly know the, the formal diagnosis, but it is yeah. another, there's more than just anorexia and bulimia. There's right. other diagnoses. For sure. So. Yeah. But that's also really prevalent in gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's an important topic to to touch on. And I'm curious to see how they'll do it. Yeah, me too. I was a little surprised by that uh, reveal, I guess. I mean, they laid the groundwork. So obviously, by the time it happens, you see it coming. But they didn't really start any of that until season two. So that was a little surprising to me. As someone who's watched it many times, they do start it a bit <laughs> okay. in season one. The teeniest but it's not. Problem. Yes, yes, but it's not nearly as noticeable. Okay, yeah, because when I really noticed it is when Charlie's hanging out with Nick, and he's like, do you want to eat dinner here? And he says, no, I'll eat when I get home. And then as soon as he gets home, they're like, oh, did you eat? And he's like, yeah, I ate there. So, like, just erase dinner. (laughs) That's episode two. Okay. So, it's very early on. It is early um, on. That they really laid the groundwork, but I'm pretty sure there's a couple of moments in season one where he's being like food restrictive or he says, no, I don't want um, any food. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. It would obviously be a repeated behavior. And as his pals, you know, that's something they're going to eventually pick up on. I did just want to say one more thing that I really Mm -hmm. appreciate that they're incorporating the internet into this show in that when Nick was wondering if he was gay, he went to the internet because he wasn't comfortable having these conversations with his friends or with his family. And then same thing, when he gets concerned about Charlie's eating, he's like, let me go and do some research before I just like make a mountain out of a molehill. And I was like, yes, show real life. So I thought that was great. I agree. I love that. Everyone should be doing that. We can pivot. (laughs) Okay. I was going to say, I feel bad that we left out Tao and Elle because I feel like they also had a situation where they could have just gotten mad at each other and blown up, right? Because Elle got into art school being a great artist. And she kind of, not kind of, she lies and says, I don't know yet, even though she knows she got in. You know, obviously when Tao finds out, because it means she's going to have to move schools. So there'll be some kind of distance between them. That wasn't there before. You know, he's sad at first, but he pretty quickly is like, no, you have to go. I'm so proud of you. Like, you did this, which is what you hope for. But I could also understand, especially for Tao's character, who has been so like, you can never leave me. We must be friends forever. He's clearly very afraid of losing these things. He's still so mature. And it's like, you have to do this. So I loved that. I think that is the saving grace about that character for me, because I very much have been in situations and in, in relationships and in friendships where emotions have been wielded to make me feel bad about something that I'm excited about so like I was very activated when Tao's response was does this mean you're leaving when she first shared her information and I completely understood why why she was like 
why she lied because he's had I'm very biased I was gonna say volatile but he's had strong emotional responses to changes like that in the past and so I do think that it was smart that L gave him the time to kind of come to that conclusion himself and also when Tao and Nick are talking about Charlie holding stuff back and then Tao shares about his experience with losing his dad that to me shows a lot of insight as to like oh this is why I am responding so intensely and that's great and I'm glad that he did wind up being supportive of L because oftentimes you don't get that self-reflection and you just get you've hurt me so I'm going to respond as a hurt person and that's typically not how that person genuinely wants to respond because they can understand the larger picture but they just have that emotional thing that's taking over so I think self-reflection is huge yeah the emotional maturity of these kids is amazing Right. Tao's mom is absolutely adorable when she was like, I've got to go and call this aunt and this aunt and this yeah. aunt. And Tao was like, Mom, we're not even official. She's like, We've been waiting for so long. Uh, I thought it was. So I know. Cool. That was so cute. It was so cute. I kind of love that, like, him dating a trans woman is just like not a thing. No and one cares. <laughs> that's what we were talking it's about, cool. I think, in the last podcast on season one is that, like, here we have this trans character and Her issue is not being trans. Her issue is going away from all of her friends and her family and pursuing her dream. And like, that's uh, such good fucking writing. It is. Everyone can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Getting away from your little pod and your comfort zone, right? Yeah, things that everyone can relate to. It's glorious that her transness is, is... it's there, but it's it's not her only identity. I love that they have her be this amazing artist. Right. And so I'm wondering if you can maybe give me some, not insight, but I'm curious about your opinion in regards to Elle and Tao's first date. I thought that like the outcome of it, so the like overcorrection the fact that L got mad, the fact that they fought, all of that, I thought that was ridiculous. And so can you, do you understand why it became a thing? Do you understand like why it was so ending? Because I'm like, okay, go on another fucking date. Who cares? I think it was all to convey that like they needed to just be themselves and not what they thought like a boyfriend was or a girlfriend was or like people dating. They just needed to take the pressure off and be themselves because that's that's who they like they don't like i'm gonna do these things for you because i'm a boyfriend they just just be yourself that's kind of what i got i mean i think it was bumpier than it needed to be okay yeah i just thought it was unnecessary but again i guess they can't be emotionally mature in every single aspect because then it would be totally unrealistic yeah and i think the reality is that of our characters Tao is probably one of the more still working on his emotional maturity, right? Absolutely. Not that some of his lashing out isn't totally called for, like the one to Harry, but he's clearly incredibly emotional and, yeah, still learning a lot of this stuff, which, like I said, uh, samesies. These, all of these kids are more <laughs> emotionally mature than I was at this age. Right. Do we want to talk about Isaac? Of course. Cool. 
big fan of what they did here. <laughs> big, I big fan. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you would be. Which this is, is great. What I was hinting at in, because I didn't realize this the first watch through, was just how much they made Isaac obsessed with romance and with love. And that, like, mm-hmm. that was the topic of all of his books. I think at one point in the first season, he makes a comment about like just wanting to find that like true love. I wrote it down in my notes, so I'll, I'll attempt to find it. Um, but that's where I was going to be like, oh, potential spoiler. So yeah, I thought it was it was a really a really good segue and development for him. But what were your thoughts? I thought it was great. I think obviously we don't get a lot of ace representation of any kind so big fan i do think in some ways it may have been a little quick mm-hmm. only in that if isaac's entire experience is kissing one person for one second i do think that there might be a world where isaac is just perhaps not attracted to that person however isaac obviously knows himself better than i so if you know that's what he thinks then definitely trust that i remember thinking dating was a crock of shit in high school like none of y'all are gonna end up together this is a waste of time there are better things to be focusing on right now Mm -hmm. which for me is like sports and my friends right like (laughs) cool guy but dating was just kind of like i'll get to it when i get to it if i get to it and obviously that's (laughs) very different than an ace identity but i do think there's a world where it might feel that way for a little bit and be something later now I don't want to be dismissive, and that does sound kind of dismissive. I would also like to say that this is coming from somebody who, what, since you were 18, have only been single for, like, maybe two or three years total. So, yes, very much you'll get to it later, and then you never stop. I agree in that I hope that they continue his exploration of asexuality and aromanticism, aromantic. Because again, it's a spectrum. And so I hope they don't just make it all cookie cutter and be like, oh, Isaac is totally 0%, like 100% ace, 100% arrow, rather than being like, oh, he experiences romance and sexual desire differently. Um, Maybe he's demisexual, whatever. Because there's just, there's that's an entire community. Um, So I am interested and I do agree. I feel like, oftentimes for queer people as well, like we might label ourselves as asexual or aromantic because the type of people that we're supposed to be attracted to also like our upbringing and our religious background could confirm for us that like, okay, well, if I don't experience it this way, then I must be this. So I think they've laid a lot of good groundwork and I'm excited to see where it goes because I agree it did feel a little bit too wrapped up. Also not gonna lie, the guy that played Isaac's love interest they looked very similar and I was like oh mm. they look a lot alike <laughs> but I thought it was really cute yeah I liked that character I thought it was really cute when he was like hey can I hang out with you and all your queer friends like oh my god yes queers find each other hang out that's mm-hmm. how it's always been did you have thoughts on the Darcy plot line I did I have thoughts on literally every character awesome so. talk to me about yes. that one <laughs> um yeah so my thoughts on Darcy is that I knew we were going to get something more because they made it obvious like that everything wasn't perfect. Again, through all of my rewatches, I noticed more Tara's response to Darcy being cagey 
especially in like the birthday party episode like if you mm-hmm. look at Tara the entire party she's just like side-eyeing Darcy like looks very uncomfortable like she doesn't really want to be having a big party and she's just like okay I guess this is what's happening but yeah. it makes a lot of sense from the Darcy perspective of like wanting to not rock the boat and keep things good as long as you can because things are already so shit in one area of your life you don't want that to permeate into another and like you really want to be the person that your significant other sees you as you don't want to break that illusion I do think it's important to show that LGBTQ kiddos still get kicked out of their homes and that it's not only black and brown families that are doing it that it very much still is an issue that everyone faces regardless of, of race or religion. Her mom reminded me of some of our friends' moms. I'm not going to uh-huh. say who, but she's, a, oh no, okay. I don't know if we've approved this word, but <laughs> she's a bad person. Uh, but oh my God, Tara looked fucking gorgeous at prom. Like, I'm so glad they started actually like doing things with that actress's hair. Because not for nothing, but they really did not, they did not do her justice in the first season. I don't know who was responsible for doing hair, but like Tara deserved better. And they gave it to her in the second season um, with those braids and just, ah, she looked so stunning. I agree. I think that actress that plays Tara is fantastic. In fact, I have a little bit of a hard time with them because I think Darcy is a much weaker actor. So when they're in scenes together... I find Tara to be blowing her out of the water. So they are a little hard to watch sometimes for me. I do get that. I do get that. And I just want to be clear because I I haven't named the actor that plays Darcy because I don't remember their name, but that person uses he, him, they, them pronouns. So when I'm talking about Darcy, I am using she pronouns. I am talking about the character Darcy, not the actor. Okay, cool. Just wanted to clarify that since I know all the pronouns are different. But yeah, I don't know. I It also, I mean, no lie, that storyline kind of reminded me of you and of like the, the issues that you faced in, in high school with your family and not really like being seen. So it was just, that felt very realistic to me. Unfortunate, but very realistic. Yeah, maybe what that's why thoughts? I thought she was kind of a... I think she just played it weird. Like okay, you get kicked out or a fight happens and you leave. I'm not sure pouting in the park for 24 hours would be my play. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you remember how many hours we spent in a goddamn park? Yes, I know. You probably uh, still would have texted one of your friends to join you and hang out. But you 100% sure went to parks. I guess. But like, I don't know. I had a car and friends and I don't know. You're right. It's it's an emotional time. You never know how you're going to react, but maybe you're right. Maybe I related too much where I was like, ah, she needs to buck up a little. Who hasn't been kicked out of her house? Yeah, come on. All in a day. <laughs> Not all in a day. And Rub some dirt in it. Yes. <laughs> Walk it off. Okay, I did just want to end with the scene where Darcy and Tara are in Tara's bedroom and the mom comes in and she's like, your grandma would have a fit if she knew you were still in bed or something like that. And Darcy's like, uh, she'd also have a fit if she knew I was a lesbian. Oh, letting your girlfriend sleep over. Yeah, I thought that was just very cute. Yeah. Very, very cute. So the next person I wanted to talk about was Ben Hope. Okay. Um, and then I want to, you know, keep going throughout the, the episodes. So Ben Hope. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Initial thought, fucking dick. Just leave everybody alone. But then it makes me feel bad for the actor because like the actor seems like a lovely person. He's like, he's friends with everybody. He's all excited about. Like, that just means he he's acting well. I know, I know, but it still makes me feel bad. So that's my complicated you know relationship at home. They're paying him for his work. They are, they are. <laughs> well, when they're back, <laughs> but go on. So I was very surprised by his storyline in, and also just by Heartstopper in general. I always expected them to go the rom-com approach and do forgiveness and like inclusion. And so what I'm about to say applies to also Harry, because there was a scene where Harry apologizes for being homophobic and all of that. And not for nothing, like it was a, it was a solid apology, both in my opinion, Ben and Harry gave for their age, a solid apology. And I was fucking blown out of the water when the boundaries were held. And I actually told one of my friends recently to, who's like getting out of a toxic relationship to watch the I'm sorry episode, because I think chef's fucking kiss with the scene with Ben, where Ben basically thinks he's giving this amazing heartfelt apology. And Charlie gets to be like, I'm glad you've realized this, but I don't want to be around to see it. I hope you do all this healing and that you never hurt another person, but you don't get me to be there to witness it. Like you have fucking burned this bridge and you don't deserve any more of my time. I thought that that was brilliant and took so much courage because I don't think I would respond it that way even now, but that's just because I have problems with boundaries. I also though, I could just see the trajectory of Ben's life being solidified at that point. Like this poor little kid, unless he does anything to really course correct, is going to continue to hate himself, continue to be abusive, continue to be problematic to those around him. And like is really going to need to do a lot of self-reflection if he doesn't want to continue to be a piece of shit. So those are my thoughts. Also, he's a toe walker. It bothered me that like his final scene was him fucking walking away. And I was like, I swear to God, if Jesse brings up his goddamn toe walking and relates it to me, I'm going to be pissed. Why would I relate it to you, Brianna? Why would you relate it to me, Brianna? Because Casey used to hate me since I was a toe walker. I am a toe walker. I am. And yes, we look ridiculous, but we can't help it. I saw a guy at the gym the other day who was a toe walker. It's so rare for men. And I was like, look at this guy. You're hilarious. I get it from my daddy, so it's fine. Ugh, hate you. I do think that Ben has some awareness that that is his path. Yes. He kind of makes a comment like, and I don't know if I'm ever going to be okay with it. Which yeah. is, I think, a big part of where I felt sad for him. I think Charlie's right, right? Like, deuces. He doesn't need Ben around. Ben has caused him way too much trauma. But... Yeah, you do have some sympathy for Ben, for someone who just has no intentions of ever coming out. Yeah, and I think that's also what they were attempting to communicate with the animation. Like the rainbow is reaching for him to be like, please just accept this part of yourself. Be a better person. And he gets so close to touching it. And then he turns away. And I'm like, oh, fucking heartbreaking. Yeah, Because I think everybody deserves to be loved and be happy 
Yeah, that was one of the times the animation was like really, really well used. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that was very it felt it felt profound. Okay, so I feel like we've talked a lot about the characters, but not necessarily a lot about like the different episodes. So I'd like to just kind of do a quick run through of the episodes and touch on things that I liked and disliked about each one. Okay, go for it. For episode one, I just loved that they picked up right where it left off, like that there was no time. Although I did find it comical just how much larger Kit Connor's shoulders (laughs) fucking were. Yeah, I know. This young human is really fucking me up. I also love the kissing montage. Like Joe and Kit have such great chemistry. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's just so important to see euphorically happy young queer people kissing and young queer men kissing. We just need more of it. The sleepover idea was very adorable for like the coming out, but drastically different than the high school sleepovers that we used to have. I was like, where's all the fucking alcohol? It was hilarious. (laughs) And I loved watching Imogen's face just sink when she realized that like, no, in fact, he does like girls. He just does not like me which I can definitely relate to as having done to people. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but no. So those are my favorite like moments in the first episode. Any for you? Actually, when Elle tries flirting with Tao for the first time, oh relatable. I, it was so cute. I know. I feel like very few people are like, yeah, I'm good at flirting. And you just like try your best and hope that there's some kind of charm to what the fuck you're saying. Because right. what is flirting? That was cute. And even as an adult, relatable. Absolutely. In episode two, family, meet Nick's brother. A, I'm going to be a petty bitch. His hairline was fucking trash. Like you could tell bro is balding and he's supposed to be like 21, 22, which, hey, my dad went bald at 19. So it happens. But also I was like, oof, I felt bad for this character while hating this character. I felt bad because I feel like he is the product of somebody who desperately wanted his father's love and tried to emanate what he thought his father would be more likely to respond to, to only be left in the later episode as a disappointment and having developed terrible personality characteristics that just like, again, I know all he wanted to be was loved and cared about by people who are supposed to love and care about him. And now he's a dick. He very much like paralleled Ben Hope to me. But I also thought it was a very appropriate response for Charlie's parents to ground him based on the the school performance. I was like, fuck yeah, if my grades had been like declining due to a boy, my parents would have been like, absolutely not. You can't go see him. And the dad just being like, no hanky panky, no hanky panky. (laughs) It was great. It was great. Yeah, I think it's this episode with Nick's brother. Is this where they all have the big family dinner? No, that is oh, okay. uh, that's seven. That's seven. Because okay. Tori. Just anyway. chef's fucking kiss. <laughs> yes, best. I have that written down there. Okay. Yep, yep. <laughs> Episode three, The Promise. I, again, didn't understand Tao and Elle's blow up. I thought it was unnecessary and just prolonged the storyline that we knew was going to come to a head. I did in this episode like that Charlie stood up for Nick and that they used the animation again to convey Nick feeling anxious at the bonfire with like the the zooming in of the or the tunnel vision happening um i thought that that was a good demonstration of how everyone can experience anxiety and it's not just people with anxiety that experience it and how we're more likely to stand up for people we care about than we are to stand up for ourselves episode four 
when Charlie says it could be fun being a secret again. I was like, oh, I have been there. I have been there. And you're hoping that you're convincing, but you're definitely not convincing. Also, Tao and Isaac being cock blockers because, of course, Nick and Charlie would want to share a bed. Idiots. That was, was just funny. That was like a, my best friends are petty. Like, I love them so much moment, right? Like, that's just you and Casey being like, nope. Also, when Taro was, or when Darcy was like, uh, where are all the fish? And everyone was like, are you fucking kidding me? We're under the goddamn ocean in a boat. Of course, there's not going to be, or under the water in a boat. Of course, there's not going to be fish. Hilarious. And then, of course, we get the hickey which Aquila pointed out very nicely. She was like, clearly these people are all men because not a single one of them was like, make or uh, makeup, ice spoon, like all of these remedies to get, they were just like, nope, just gonna raw dog life and show everybody my hickey. Yeah, I was like, aren't there like some cover-up yes. solutions? Like yes. it might be summer, maybe a scarf's not an option, but like, I feel like I remember <laughs> more yes. solutions. I loved that Emojin embarrassed Ben by calling him out here and being like you're obsessed with charlie because i was like thank god someone finally said it because he really is <laughs> and someone needs to say it and he needs to deal with this because he's just being an asshat to everyone yes. around him i love yeah. that emojin was like finally like you know what having a boyfriend doesn't matter having fun matters so i'm gonna do me and hang out with the queer kids <laughs> i also think this is the episode where she delivers the line of like I know I don't have the greatest track record, but I believe in being honest and and going after what you want rather than denying myself that. And that's kind of the the yeah. sentiment that then propelled Elle and Tao into a relationship. So I thought that that was, was good. I think this is also the episode maybe that we see Nick speak French for the first time. And I was like, oh, huddle. Yeah, can Kit Connor speak French? Because- No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, he learned it, it for this. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, he got me. <laughs> but I don't know French, so <laughs> maybe that's a low bar. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's hot. Episode five was is the whole passing out thing and the carrying of the croissant and then that whole big conversation. Nick's dad being a dick and only being there for five minutes. Like I think season or episode five did a good job of setting up the end mm -hmm. of the season. Isn't the sixth episode where the dad comes in though? Truth or dare? No, they meet him at a cafe right after Charlie faints. The episode description of Truth or Dare literally says on their last day in Paris, Nick introduces Charlie to his father. Oh, okay. Well, look at me getting <laughs> so, schooled. I've only think, seen it five times. I think you're just, you're, they're blurring Boo. for you a little bit too. Boo. Okay. So then it's the same day. So episode five is the hickey and okay. the city tour. Okay. And then six is the last day in Paris where they meet the father. Ellen Tao make it official. I don't episode remember. six is truth and dare. They truth do dare, Darcy's yeah. party. Oh, okay. right. Darcy's party that he has for Tara and Tara doesn't want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For episode six, I love the that they come out. It was very cute. And that they stand up to Harry. And oh, that was good. Ben has his little issue. That was really cute. Yeah, when they don't let Harry come to the party after his apology, baller move. Harry's apology was sort of genuine, but it was very much filled with, I'm only doing this so I can come to your party. Oh, and absolutely. so when he was like, nope <laughs> like 
Yup. <laughs> so, right. But ultimately, like, do you want that guy there? No. No. <laughs> no, no. He doesn't add anything. No. Episode seven. Oh, sorry. In episode six, we do get the teacher storyline. Um, oh yeah. Vomit on the bed. Which why they ever would just run to a teacher and not to a bathroom? I don't understand. I know. Um, clearly, commands. they haven't drank. They clearly just wanted to force the teachers together. And they were like, crap, how do we, what do we need to do plot-wise to force them together? Right. And yeah, the, that was so silly. If you're sick, why would you run and tell the teacher? Handle it yourself. Absolutely don't tell your teacher you were underage drinking. You only admit it if they catch you red-handed. Otherwise, it was not you. No. Amazing. So now I'll let you talk about Charlie's sister, because episode seven. Oh, yes. This is like sibling goals right here. So multiple times... Nick's brother, who's a piece of shit, we've established, right? He clearly just wants dad's attention. Dad's not around, so he's a brat. Multiple times, he's about to just, like, out them or make their life hard or just do something homophobic. And Tori will not allow it. She sits Mm -hmm. down at the table the first time he tries. She, like, digs her nails into him or something like that. And is like, don't you dare. Right. she catches him. On the phone, either saying something or outing him again. Then you also really need to have the subtitles on because without it, you you miss some of the stuff. So Nick's brother was talking to his friend about Nick being a drama queen and says Mm -hmm. that he probably gets it from his drama queen boyfriend. And that's when Tori kicks the phone down the hall. But then when they're hugging goodbye and Charlie is talking to Nick's mom or whatever, in the background, if you have the subtitles on, you see Tori telling Nick, your brother's a fucking prick or your brother's a prick. And Nick is just like, yeah. So she's she's there every step of the way being like, you're an asshole. You're a douche. You're a sad little man. I think she even called him. Yes. And she is just there to be like, hey, these people aren't hurting anybody. That's my brother. Fuck you. <laughs> and it's as an older sibling, I'm like, yes, you do not say that shit about my little brother. Right, right. Relatable. Agreed. And then episode eight, I just thought was phenomenal. Um, I believe we've already talked about everything that I enjoyed from there. So I guess my next thing would just kind of be predictions for what we think season three is going to cover. I think that one thing I wanted to mention really quick is I do like that they took a lot of things that we've seen um, in teen shows before, right? Prom. The, the school trip, a lot of these things that we've seen, and they still all felt very fresh. Yes. Now, I think the conversation also between um, Charlie and Kit about his eating disorder was a was a really wonderful moment of the show. I think we kind of touched on that, but just the the sit down and the, the approach that uh, I keep wanting to call him Kit, Nick takes, is just wonderful. He's like, hey, I, I think some of the bullying of your past, uh, you know, you haven't really talked to me about it. Talk to me about it. And mm-hmm. I think it might be affecting you now. Or like, let's talk about it. And it was just so, again, sympathetic and and supportive. So I don't know. That's really what makes this show special. I agree. I think it showed great insight. And even for him to like go to his best friend and be like, hey, do you know a lot about this? Because I think people who've experienced hard things Oftentimes, like when life is going good, they want to believe that like everything's okay, that they're not still impacted by what they've been through. And it's important to be like, life can be great. And you can still experience shitty things that impact you today. 
I guess for my predictions for season three, um, I'm assuming we're going to get an I love you in probably like the first episode since that's where that was the cliffhanger that we left off on. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping they don't do what they did with this season where they drag out this storyline far into the season. Like I'd want, I'd like the I love you to come relatively quickly. I think we'll get a lot more delving into the trials and tribulations that they go through and how they like lean on each other I also if I understand this this is going to be this next school year is going to be Nick's final year because he's in a year 11 so he's going to be going into year 12 so I imagine depending on if they allow this season to be a full school year or if they do it again in halves that at some point we'll get the like long distance I'm going to university type issues. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what I think is going to come for the main characters. That's a good call. I think my biggest hope for this season that I that we didn't really get is maybe Nick letting some people in on Charlie's struggles, which I understand might be... I don't know. That might not be the best way to approach it, right? Because that's his private stuff. But like when Nick and Tao sat down, I thought he was going to tell him and kind of loop him in to also be supportive because that's what I would have done at the time. I would have been like, oh, well, we're going to tell the gang now because I need some help here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were times where telling the whole gang was <laughs> not what someone wanted. And so I understand that <laughs> that might not be the approach, but, you know. I think it always takes a village and I am very aware of what I cannot provide. So I think more people tend to be more helpful. So that's what I'm hoping we see there. It's like, we let more people in on this and then there's more support. No, no one can be anyone's everything. So it does take yeah. a team. And I'm, I'm on, I'm sure we will. I could very much see Nick reaching out to Tori. Um, I don't mm. actually know if he'll go to Charlie's parents, but I think it, will loop somebody in that's in the household but yes I do I do think we'll go down the like mental health how do we support people through these issues as teams and I think that'll be really helpful to see yeah maybe we even do some therapy wouldn't be upset about some therapy don't even get me started on how excited <laughs> I would be if I saw therapy in this show <laughs> oh be great I don't know that I have many more big predictions. I guess there are certain characters like Ben where I'm like, cool, he can go now. We don't need any more Ben. I feel like yeah. that's nice and like tied with a bow. Um, I think they left us a breadcrumb for Imogen to also join us here on the queer team. With right? Sahar. She, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. She had a moment when Sahar's on stage. She was like, oh, she looks good with her guitar. What's happening? I'm like, we they were there. also <laughs> cuddling in Paris together in one of the beds, L and Tower in the other one, and the other two people that are sleeping in the other one is Sahar, and then Imogen has her arms wrapped around her in the bed. So there was oh. there was a couple of breadcrumbs. Okay, that something might be be happening also in the Truth and Dare episode when Sahar is like, yeah, no, like we used to talk all the time, and then Imogen got a boyfriend and she totally stopped talking to me. And Imogen was like, I didn't, I didn't do that, and it felt very like queer in that regards because maybe i've just been there with relation i don't know maybe i'm projecting why don't you call me back 
Why are you so oh, obsessed no. with me? They're hilarious. Cool. I also, I'm always here for Olivia Coleman. So give me more yes. Olivia Coleman. I more. honestly, thank God Nick's mom is great because his dad and brother fucking suck. Awful yeah. human beings. Yeah. If they want to go, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Thank you for joining us today on Queer Watching. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star rating where you get your podcasts. You can also send us an email with recommendations or feedback at queerwatching at gmail.com. Toodaloo!